Welcome to episode five of The Unapologist. Of course, today we have the effervescent Christopher Polson shining down from us from the almost west coast. Over <laughs> on my end, we have uh, Vito McKenzie here on the mic. And we have a very, very special guest with us today. You might be tired of hearing us talk, so I brought someone in. I, I call him the Mr. Rogers of teachers because as a human, I'm sure at some point he's had a bad day and he might have been angry at some point. I've never seen it. So <laughs> I'm very excited to have on the show today, uh, Murray Letts. Murray is a retired teacher in the Ottawa board. He is someone I met uh, when I was first starting out in my career and watching him teach was just, every time I talk to him, I watch him, I observe him. Every time we've ever sat down, I always feel like I'm out a, a much better teacher. I've never met a man with more joy in his life. And he always has a smile on his face every time. It's it's almost worrisome. But <laughs> that's that's what I love about. So Murray, thank you very much for, for coming and joining us today. It's it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome. Glad to be here. So, Murray, why don't you start off? Uh, tell, tell us a bit about yourself. I don't want to give away too much. What, what, where you started, how long you were teaching for, and just some of your influences in your own teaching practice. Well, I, uh, I went to uh, a Catholic school for only a couple of years in high school in Pembroke. And uh, from there, I went off to London, Ontario. I studied to be a, a priest or explored studying to be a priest for three years. Uh, did my BA in philosophy and uh, from there I ended up back in Ottawa and uh, going to St. Paul's University and uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, St. Paul's grads, we know. <laughs> Are you a St. Paul's grad there, Chris? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> oh, well I was there in uh, 1980, I'm going to say 86-87 great year 86 great year <laughs> uh, i've been born that year uh, yep <laughs> um i can tell you that uh i was there for a couple of years and uh and one year uh my one of my buddies was gone dave i said uh, to the guys in uh in the beginning of second year I said where's dave and they said well dave is gone he's gone to teachers college and i was like like you can make like your career in this like you could actually like this is <laughs> this is something i love doing studying uh theology and religion and and uh and they said yeah you could go to teachers college that's unreal so the next year i went to mcgill and um i was uh, studying to be a religion teacher and um that's where i think i found my uh, the two biggest influences in, uh, in me as a teacher uh one was a man named martin jeffries and Martin Jeffries is uh, a legend in uh, teaching. Uh, he's from uh, Ottawa and then living in Montreal. And uh, he was our, uh, our, our leader. And it was, uh, I think, if there was nine people in our class, I'd be like, I'd be surprised. By six to nine people, it was a very small class and uh, very uh, niche. And um, he was a great influence. And uh, when I came back to Ottawa to teach, I got a job. and. Uh, I had to take a course to get qualified to teach in Ontario and there was a, a lady there named Dr. Lorna Miller. She was a teacher at a high school and uh, she uh, was the a, uh, ABQ course uh, so I could get my qualifications in Ontario and she was probably the biggest influence in terms of uh, pedagogy and in terms of uh, teaching. In okay, so I want to stop you there. What, what was their influence on you? What were they doing at that time that 
had a big influence on you? What was it that they were saying? Or you're like, oh, I could really get on board with this, like Jeffries and, and, and Matt. Yeah. yeah, I think the uh, the biggest influence would be Martin Jeffries. He was, uh, he was a man who was um, very much uh, avant-garde uh, teacher in adult faith methods. And so he would be the one who was to say to us, there's a difference between indoctrination and teaching. And when you're a teacher, your job is not to indoctrinate. Wow, I like, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. No, I, I like it a lot because so many people are afraid of, uh, of, of kind of falling to one side, you know, kind mm -hmm. of stepping over the boundary either way. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that boundary is uh, trying to uh, convince young people how wrong they are and uh, that that does not work at all <laughs> with young people. Uh, so uh, his method was uh, more like an adult faith development. Uh, what do you bring? What's your experience that you bring? And and started teaching in 1990. The methodology of teaching religion was a hundred multiple choice questions, and if you got all the uh, curriculum slash catechism correct then you were a great student and uh, at that time I taken this course from Dr. Lorna Miller and it was a huge movement in Ontario towards uh, uh, critical thinking and uh, a movement away from just knowledge and so things like application and thinking and communication were were uh, it was was it was new and I don't, I don't know if you've seen the news lately uh, <laughs> It looks as though uh, 2021 Alberta is doing away with that. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the news. No. Uh, yeah, we have a new curriculum coming that is the opposite yeah. of that. Yeah. And that's uh, that's really, I'm sad for the students. Well, right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry I cut in there. No. But, uh, that... Yeah, like keep going. I, I, I love this. I love, uh, I love hearing yeah. this. It seems as though you're kind of were you kind of like forging your own path through kind of uncharted waters here with just a few? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was a hard sell to, uh, because if you have four teachers teaching the same course, then you know, they were all going to get the same exam at that time. Right. It was kind of tough. If three teachers were teaching a hundred questions of knowledge and the other teacher was saying, Hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Um, that was a that was a tough one. So it it took a, a long time for us to move away from from that sort of stuff. And so the way I did it a lot was uh, I would I was at that time the one that was organizing trips to the other religious uh, groups. So I was going to the mosque, the synagogue, the uh, the. Uh, now, what grades were you teaching at this time? That was grade eleven. So grade eleven, it was world religions. Yep. Yep. And uh, at that point, they didn't go. They didn't go. Like we, I would have. A lady from the mosque come in. We would have uh, people uh, that would welcome us out at the Hindu temple, and and so it was it was the movement towards saying, hey, you know what? Uh, what's the bigger world like out there? Like, what do we have to to learn from other people and and be in community with from other people? And uh, so it was the beginning of this movement towards this uh, skills development. And that's what uh, that was. That was my beginning, 1990. Uh, so when I became department head, it was much easier because then I could, uh, you know, really uh, influence the direction of the courses. And um, 
and, and, and look for teachers who are uh, in that strain. And that was really good. Yeah. So uh, as department head, and, and Chris, you can speak on this as well. What influence can you have with your department or did you have and where, where were your roadblocks? Um, the biggest influences uh, would be uh, in terms of, uh, uh, so a teacher would hand in an exam and say, here's my exam I'm going to give. And I would say, okay, well, you can't have 150 multiple choice questions, uh, 15 short answer questions and two long answer questions. I say that's, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta tone that down. So I try to give parameters for, you know, you have to have something like a site passage or an application type questions, uh, some thinking questions, some explanations, uh, and you can have knowledge questions, but, uh, you know, you have to have sort of a, a balance. And, and so the best I could do is to say, you know, 50% knowledge and 50% thinking and application. And, and that worked well. People, people were willing to go that far. It's a tough sell. Especially if you're the first one doing it. Yeah, I, I believe Well, yeah, that. that's, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. And then, uh, so you're a department head and this is around what year are you becoming department head? So this is about uh, 19, well, before 2000. So I started in 1990. So by 2000, I was the department head with uh, more influence than, uh, than I had as a teacher. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, and like, tell me about um, when you're a department head, um, like what was your level of uh, kind of, I'm thinking about that, that 2000 period, that late 90s, mm -hmm. early 2000s, you mm -hmm. have teachers coming into your school uh, they're meeting you. What was the level of like, um, not necessarily buy-in to kind of the assessment or anything like that, but what was the level of kind of like buy-in to the, to the different way of thinking, um, from the, um, like what I wrote down here as a note is just like, there's the religion class where you gain knowledge about religion. And then there's the religion class where you have an experience like guided by Christ. Um, what, yeah. what was that like back then? That's what I'm interested at, you know, in terms of you're kind of the guy on the top of the department. Um, were people kind of afraid to kind of let go and, 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 and follow that experiential path? I would say not. Uh, awesome. uh, the, the, awesome. the, uh, the teachers who, uh, you know, were, were in the school for very few of them were the uh, let's just say at one point a teacher came into the staff room and uh, he said that uh, he was incredulous that there were so many kids from divorced families and he was going to do something about this and he wanted to get in and he turned to me and he says Marie I want to teach religion next year and, and I immediately went up to the principal and said, this guy will never be in a religion class. Because <laughs> if he ever said that to students, like I can't yeah. even imagine, mm -hmm. you know, how that would have traumatized kids. And, and I had some pretty good principals that they would know that, yeah, that's never gonna happen. For that, sure. That was good. But most of the teachers were, uh, let's just say, you know, the, the, there's, there's a huge question amongst, there were, I think 12, or were 12 high schools, so the department heads would meet together. One of the biggest complaints was we need to have more qualified people teaching religion and qualified theolo theologically, uh, pedagogically. Uh, they have to be, uh, you know, uh, taken some um, religious education type courses. And, you know, 
being pragmatic, that was never going to happen. Religion tended to be a, an area that they dumped teachers who were, you know, they, they needed to fill in their schedule. So they would put teachers in math, for example, they might give them a religion class or English or whatever their courses were. So we had a lot of teachers who were not um, religion teachers. For and sure. so my, my philosophy was I would rather have a good person teaching religion than somebody who is um, um, steeped in faith but wanting to indoctrinate people. For sure. Uh, I've had uh, many a wonderful priest tell me that as well. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a drama teacher, I would tell you, hey, you got a religion class and you love drama. Why don't you bring your sure. teaching of drama into how you, you know, um, teach religion or a science teacher who might have some difficulties with some of these ideas to say, hey, listen, when you don't know the answer, just say you don't know the answer. And boy, that's a really good question. And uh, and, you know, you struggle with it, too. And let's let's journey together on this struggle and understand what this means. And I said, that's and that's OK to say that. And uh, you'll probably get a more receptive audience than, you know, demanding a correct answer. For sure. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let, let, let's start then with your actual teaching practice. Okay. You 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 your experience. You got department head. You've been doing this for a while. So how do you plan your your semester? So you walk in, and you say, okay, I'm teaching whatever this year. This is the courses I'm I'm getting. What's what what's your method? What's going on in your head? How do you plan that? Well, for the most part, I I as a teacher, and a more experienced teacher, and more qualified in, in religious education. I mostly taught grade 12 graduating students philosophy or ethics or, uh, you know, grade 12 students because there is a certain, there's a certain type of teacher that can teach graduating students and, and, and deal with all the stuff that comes along with that and the stress. And, and there are other teachers that they don't want all that aggravation of dealing with that. So mostly I taught grade 12, but I love teaching grade nines, mm -hmm. grade nine kids. The energy, the enthusiasm, their 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 joy of living was phenomenal. To tap into some of the concepts that they were going to discover or, or think about in in the classroom. But regardless if it was grade nine or grade twelve, the student was the one that was going to bring their experience to whatever concepts we were going to have in that course. And uh, the rule was always. Uh, you didn't get marked because you agreed with me. You got marked because you were able to talk about your opinions, explain your opinions. And uh, if you didn't agree with somebody, you didn't get, um, you know, nobody was going to be harsh with you because you were going to say something that other people in the class might find difficult. So how, how did you get them to that point? That's, that's yeah, what I really want to dive Like, cause you're, you, I, I know you're, former students, and they always say that you, you always allowed me to express my experience and allowed me to be me and bring that experience to the classroom. And that's something Chris and I have talked upon for years. So how, how did you do that? I think it's in the small things like uh, one day uh, there was a poster in my class, which was eight and a half by 11. It was a small thing. It just said, you are welcome here. And it had like, I don't know, 50 different things on there. You're welcome if you're black, you're white, you're poor, you know, like all those regular things. And one day this girl looked up and said, I see you have that poster in your classroom, um, but I don't see uh, trans on there. And so I looked up and I said, wow, that's right. 
So I walked over to my desk and I got a marker and I walked back and I put the marker on her desk and I said, why don't you change that? And I don't know if any teacher has ever empowered yeah. her like that, but she had a look on her face was like, wow. She got up. I don't know how many terms she put up there. <laughs> she, she had a lot on her mind and it was like, that's awesome. And, and not a response. No, nobody said a word in the class to disparage any of the people that she described as she wrote them on that, on that little poster. So sure. it's the small things. Yeah. Right. So this, what else? What else? Like either the, the, when you said the small things, you're opening up a class discussion. You're looking at, yeah. I don't know, you're looking at the Beatitudes. Let's say it's a grade nine class. Yeah. How, how, how do you bring that out from the students? Well, uh, the, uh, the, my, my, my goal is always uh, in a classroom is teach the teacher. That's my final goal. Like in all the things that we do in the classroom, you should be prepared to teach me something that I didn't know before. So if you did the Beatitudes or if we were doing, you know, concepts in philosophy, regardless, you had to know what they were. And then we might have watched a movie or read a book and were able to connect some of the Beatitudes that people were either following or weren't following or the concepts that people were either giving examples of them uh, where they were consistent with the concepts or maybe they were doing things that were like, wow, that goes against these concepts. And then the final goal would be, now you go out and find your own examples. So, for example, uh, a, a teacher, a former teacher, uh, well, she's still teaching, I'm, I'm retired. Uh, her daughter, who is not the, uh, you know, uh, the academic, more athletic, uh, and, uh, and she got on to this whale story. <laughs> she researched this whale story. And the way people, whatever people were doing with this whale story, the environmental impact, and she was able to connect this story to what we were doing in class with the Beatitude or the Ten Commandments, whatever we were doing that they learned. And she had to do a presentation and she did it on this. I'm telling you, the response and the response I get from parents is that the kids who were doing this were talking to parents. They were going home and the parents, when they were coming in, because most of the parents, you know, the typical thing whenever you have parent-teacher interviews is parents come in and they want to complain or they want to fight or whatever. But most of the kids whose parents came in wanted to come in just, they say, I just want to say hi. Uh, I hear your name a lot. And, uh, and, and our discussions have really changed since, you know, they started to do this and they started to be opinionated and they started to be knowledgeable and they, they were starting to critically think and the, and the, and the word, the buzzword that's out when I, as I was leaving was this thing called deep learning. Like it was something discovered <laughs> in the last five years. And uh, these kids were doing this because they were able to, you know, find out about stuff and then, um, Think about uh, how they connect that to big ideas that uh, we talk about. Well, it, it seems to me you're talking a lot about uh, number one empowerment, but number two, it was it, it seems like it's a big to uh, not worry about what the end product looks like in terms yeah. of using religious language, religious history, and religious texts. Yeah, um, I'm getting I'm getting a big vibe about that. It's it's taking 
the concepts uh, and, and stripping them not of their meaning, uh, but of the coat of paint that they usually uh, arrive to students on and saying, hey, here's the idea, run with it. Hey, guess what? Your project on Wales was actually a theology project. You know, the scariest part of this is in the Wales story. The scariest part is whenever you teach them Christian concepts and they turn that bright light on, on some of the stuff that's happened in, in their own lives with church and religion, right? with indigenous people, with um, you know the uh, priests and 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 Cub Scout leaders and and uh, hockey coaches and to say hey you know what uh, these people are not following these concepts very well in fact um, you know as critical as you are of young people there's a whole bunch of adults out there who are not doing a good job being good leaders and teachers and you have to be able to stand at the front of the classroom and say you're right you're right you are bang on and and how many adults are comfortable having that conversation uh, humility is difficult for teachers when you're supposed to be the smartest person in the room and when and when you're wrong admitting you're wrong yeah for sure yeah. because we do things and sometimes think geez i can't believe i said that to that person and and you have to go and apologize yeah absolutely and it seems to me too as though like um if I go into Murray Letts' class, I'm not, and this is something Vito and I have talked about at length, but I'm not seeing teacher Murray Letts. I'm actually meeting the man. The man Murray Letts is teaching me. I hope so. I hope so. I, I, one of the things that um, in the last year of my teaching, I, I ran into a lot of people who, as I retired, had some really nice things to say about me. Uh, from the school board, uh, superintendents, principals, and uh, and uh, other teachers, and I and I always said to them, you know, it's it's okay to say that I'm I'm leaving, and it's and it's nice to be you know appreciated, and I've gotten that affirming uh, vibe from lots of people along my career. But there's lots of teachers who need to hear that way before they retire to affirm the things that they're doing that are really good in the school. So. Uh, the other thing I, I really was a big part of my career was uh, a group of people who were very solid teachers. And it's really important for teachers to form that group of people who have, for example, in my case, our, our group was people who have high standards. You know, if you, you know, like it's, it's not hard to get an A, it's hard to get an A all the time. So you better know what an A work looks like, a B, because it does matter to students, it matters to parents, it matters to, you know, I, myself personally, that, you know, um, students care that if, uh, if you get an A without doing any work and a person really works hard and gets a B, they, they care. And so they need to know what the standards are. And so we would sit around to be the English department head, the science department head and myself, and we would talk about you know, how hard it is in grade 12 to teach students because a lot of the students who come up think they're A students and they're not because people don't want to tell somebody you're not an A student. And it's tough, but if you have standards and you tell the students what it takes to be an A student and they achieve them, well, they're an A student. And if they don't achieve them, well, you know, that you can help them, um, you know, figure out if, if, if what they want to do to try to, to achieve that. 
And I know in our school board, everybody had to take religion class. So it was not a bad deal for me. Everybody had to take English class. It wasn't a bad deal for the English teacher. But for some teachers, there's such a competition for students that sometimes students would meander over to courses that were less stringent to get better marks because they want to get into university. And I, I don't begrudge those students, but there is a, you know, students should know that, boy, whenever I, I leave this school, when, when they told me I was an A student and I get to university and, and I'm not, did we do the kids any favor? And I, I, the story I have on that is a, a former student who I saw at the mall after she had graduated and she was, she was in first year uh, and she, she had a bone to pick. And her bone to pick was, you teachers didn't do us any favors by pretending we were A students and now we get to university and I'm in nursing and I'm not ready for those courses. But you told me I was and that's not fair. And, and I, that really stuck with me. And so we, we've had in every school I've taught in, I've taught in two, I only taught in two, uh, that group of teachers who you knew and the students knew, boy, boy, if you got an A in that person's class, you got A, and, and I could show you the work that they did, and I can show you that other students work and say, I can show you the difference, and the student can say, oh, okay, I, I can see that. It's not just random. And uh, so that was that was an important part of uh, of my teaching, and uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, being true to and authentic in terms of my expectations for students. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of mark inflation too actually came out in the news a few years back because it came out that the University of Waterloo actually kept a secret list um, over the years. They kind of tracked how badly high schools across Ontario inflated their marks based on school. And so they had a special algorithm they came up with uh, based on students performed at their school versus elsewhere. And so they actually, the list came out, it was leaked, um, a Freedom of Information Act, I believe. And it showed every high school and the degree to which teachers would inflate marks. And the, the worst offender was a private school, I think at 18%. So there's, their marks are actually 18% higher than what they should have been. I think it was even higher. Uh, grade farms or something like that? They're mark mark farms or something? Yeah, maybe. But but the even in public education, like you could see every board, like every yeah. school and how badly they would inflate their marks or how badly mark inflation was happening at that time. So that's 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 interesting that you kind of already saw ahead of the curve that this wasn't serving them. So if a student comes to you then and says, okay, Mr. Letts, what do I have to do to get an A in your class? Do you show them work or do you say, yeah, like, how, how do you actually give them that structure to say, you might have been used to this, but in my class or in here, here's what I expect of you. How did you sh uh, share that expectation with students? So one of the biggest thing is, uh, I know there's a buzzword, it's called exemplars, and I never really liked the word, but uh, I, 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 they, the students all seem to know that word. So one of the things that I would do is my first assignment for every group, every class was to get them to do an assignment together, collaborate, and then I would show them if you handed that mark, that work in by yourself, this is the mark you would have got. And with all the comments on it, because I really believe the comments are really important for developing good student habits in terms of academics. And then I would photocopy and every student would have a copy of that. And so they could always refer back to that 
whenever they're doing their work to say, wow, you know, I know what part of the assignment I did and yeah, I'm, I'm my, well, I, I'm right on. So I just need to continue this or, oh, I, I didn't do very well, but I can see the difference between my contribution and someone else's and wow, I can see why they got, you know, this was really what the expectations were and they were met. And so now I know what the deal is. The second thing is, I always said to the students, if you want to come in, you know, you're doing work on whatever, and you want to come by and say, listen, I, I started it and I just want to run this by you. I just want to make sure I'm on the right track. I was always available to help students. Now, guess how many students show up for that sort of thing? You can guess the range of marks those students have. The ones who need the goal are not usually the ones who go. The ones who are 95 trying to be 100 will show up and say, listen, I did that. I know this is not due for two weeks, but I did the essay last night. I just want to see. And I said, that's great. How I, can I, I make this better? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, and I don't, I don't begrudge that either. I don't say that in a way to mock them because nope. I think that, uh, you know, having high standards for yourself is, you know, uh, not something I had when I was in high school, but I, I respect it. And I gave them the same amount of respect and effort and, and attention that I do for a student who is maybe struggling to pass a course. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that whole which students show up. I, I, another teacher I, I worked with, he actually at the beginning of the semester would post all of his tests online and say they're up there. That's the exact test you're going to get. And he goes, when I started doing that, an amazing thing happened. My marks didn't change at all. The only difference was my 95 students wanted to get 100. And that's that was that was the only difference that happened. So that doesn't surprise me that, you know, this is the thing, but it's interesting. So you said at the beginning, it's a group assignment, a group task that they do and they all contribute to it. Like, what would that look like? Well, it would be, uh, for example, uh, um, one of the whatever concept is being taught, uh, they would have uh, a number of questions that they would have to answer and they would have to then uh, give examples. And one of my biggest thing for students was if you understand it, you need to give an example of something. You know, it could be an example from a book you're reading, it could be an example from a movie you watch, a song you're listening to. Uh, it could be something personal in your life uh, if you're comfortable with that. And uh, if you're able to do that, then you'll be able to show me that you understand concepts and you're able to connect them to, uh, you know, examples that, uh, that demonstrate uh, whether or not they're consistent with those concepts or, or, uh, or, or not. And so by doing it, in groups, it prepares them by the end of the semester, they're going to do that by themselves and they're going to present in front of the class using the same way that they've done the project uh, by themselves. Uh, they will then be uh, the, the teacher of the class. And, uh, and as scary as that is, because I, I heard that the, uh, the, the biggest fear, number one fear people have in life is public speaking and number two is death. And, uh, I, and so I've had a large number of students who have, um, you know, come to me and say, I can't do it. And, you know, unless it's a rare case where they have a, a, a specific uh, reason why they can't do it, they're going to present in front of class. But my rule is always the same. If you present in front of class, I guarantee you 50%. You can only go up. You cannot go below 50%. I like that. Wow. Uh, all right. Take note, everybody.
Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're brave enough to go up, you don't even have to look at anybody. You just read. I'll give you fifty percent. Wow. Wow. Right, let's 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 jump just a little bit here. The last two episodes, Chris and I were talking about a big issue that's hitting teachers now. And that's burnout, and um, especially the la this last year, obviously with the pandemic, you know, everyone just burnt out completely. But it's been a serious concern over the last, let's say, five to ten years, um, probably the last five years especially. And there's a lot of supports now being put into place. And one of the things we talked about was a piece of advice you gave to me early on that when I heard it, I'm like, yeah, okay. But then it started to actually make sense years later, as good wisdom usually does. And the advice you gave was, who is doing the work in your classroom? Is it you or the students? And so could, could you elaborate on that? Like where, where you got that from and how that looks in your classroom? Well, I, I think that uh, that is my, my structure for everything I do is to, um, to get the kids, the students, to a point where they feel confident that they can, um, they can do this, that they can, they, they, they're very smart, they can understand concepts, and they're very aware of the world they live in, and they, they can connect these concepts to, uh, to whatever they're, they're doing. So um, one of the things that I love to do is to, to connect them with some very powerful uh, resources. And I think that, you, you know, as much as people take a hit for showing movies, there are some movies that are out there that are, the kid, you could drop a pin in the class and the kids get it. Um, I don't know if you've heard the movie uh, Sing Your Song by, uh, it's, a, it's a documentary Sundance uh, Festival, uh, Harry Belafonte. No, sorry. I can tell you, if you're looking at the world we live in today and your students have not seen this movie, it is the journey of one man and the relationship between the entertainment industry and social change. And so when Harry Belafonte was um, on TV and uh, a white woman held his hand, uh, that was the most scandalous thing that could have possibly happened and the support he received from people propelled him into a social activist role and his connection to uh, Selma, uh, the uh, civil rights movements in the 60s, right up to the Million Man March to, uh, you know, you, 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 if you were to say any social movement, major social movement, in the United States, even up to the present time, and that guy's, I'm sure, 90 years old now, his footprints are there. Mm -hmm. And so when black students are leaving your classroom and you overhear them saying to each other, how come we didn't know anything about this? I'm like, mm. oh my God, what, what have we done that we have not told the history that is the, the legacy of how we got to where we are today. Yeah. So though, when you have that type of, of resource, uh, the students then are able to get, you know, we go through how we connect the concepts that we learn in the, in the course to those things. And then their job is then the part about who's doing the work. Now you have to go out and get your own. And so that's the goal. 
Okay. So, and that's, that's my follow-up question. So that's the goal. So for you, what, what is the goal of a religion class? What, what do you see as its primary goal? One of the buzzwords is you have to have all these uh, educational goals and uh, you know, you have to, you have to put stuff up there so that kids know the expectations. Kids know the expectations. They know whenever <laughs> for teachers that need to do that, there's a problem. <laughs> it's already know. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> students, students already know when they go in there uh, that there are expectations, and you need to you need to meet these expectations or not. Uh, but there's a consequence for that. Uh, so my goal in the class is so that the students will 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 look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, I'm capable of of understanding the world I live in. Um, I can I can have a conversation. And my, you know, you probably know this too, because you probably talk to students because students are uh, not very discreet. And they, you already know who the teachers are in the school who are, you know, they, they're not doing this. Uh, you already know from your students where they, how they're treated when they walk into stores or when they're in the mall. And I don't know, Chris, if you know, uh, the two schools I worked in was, were, were inner city schools. So it was, uh, you know, the whites were the minority. They, uh, they were they were the people of color, um, uh, indigenous, uh, you know, uh, blacks were the majority, and so we already know what that means to live in that world, walking down the street, walking in the malls, how people are treated uh, in those those groups, and it's not a, a very nice thing. And so those students. Those students, whenever you, uh, whenever you talk to them, uh, they have that wealth of information and wealth of experience. And so when they're able to, you give them a, an opportunity to, uh, to, uh, to talk about that, uh, you can learn a lot of stuff in the world. And uh, I've always cherished uh, and I found sacred their trust that they would do that. And, and you know, the despairing part of their life is uh is brought into the classroom and uh how they smile i, I have no idea but these kids when they leave the classroom you see them in the hallway smiling you think my god like my my problems are small mm -hmm. and so let's let's look at your classroom because you were in the inner city or engagement schools is, is you know the other term that we, we give it and there's a social stigma attached to that kind of thing um either teachers like oh i want to go and be the savior and help out or, or whatever they care or i'm going to stay away but uh, for the students who are not aware of these stories from these students how would you get them to, like there's no secrets among students obviously they know what's going on in each other's lives but uh, how do you bring that out so they could share with let's say there is a student in that class uh, let's say you have a black student a white student a white student has no idea that this is kind of par for the course for how they're looked upon when they walk in the mall. How, how do you bring about that experience in the classroom, that shared experience? Well, the other thing I love doing is simulations and, uh, I've, and, 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 and modules where they're activity-based. And so one of the, uh, my big, ever since I started teaching was the emphasis on uh, sexual harassment. And so I, I had this program called the Jokes Over. Whenever I, 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 I did the Jokes Over program, there's a number of concepts, very few concepts, but I taught it to all my grades. And, and the key thing about it is it's about consent 
And it's about awareness that if, even though you don't intend on doing something, the impact of your actions determine whether it was right or wrong. And so whenever you uh, ask a girl out on a date, um, how do you know whether it's sexual harassment or uh, flirting? It's the impact, you know, where you, uh, was it, uh, you know, the, the hundredth time you've texted her or, uh, you know, you're showing up at her work, uh, you know, are you leaning over her desk, you know, you know, even though you may say, but I was just trying to get her attention, the impact is you're making her afraid for her life. And so you have to know the impact of your actions. And so we had this big thing. We go on for five days. And, you know, I always say to the kids, you're not at the same place I am. I don't expect after five days you're going to walk out of here and say, oh, my gosh, I'm changing my whole life. It's a conversation. And so in class, after this was over, there was one of those rare, common uh, pleas for money for whatever, food baskets, maybe it was around Christmas time. And this black student said, here, sir, is $20. And the white student said, oh, I, I know where you got that. And the implication was, yeah. it was yeah. some legal activity. I thought if a fist fight broke out in this class right now, I would think that would, I, I would not be surprised. That boy, young boy a young man who was insulted uh and and, and rightly so was, he, rightly so mm. he knew exactly what was at stake he i i thought he was going to flip a desk and he, he ended up he he yelled and he screamed and everybody else was like i just waiting to see what's going to happen next and he just stormed out of the classroom i thought to myself oh how am I going to deal with this? And about five minutes later, because I just let everybody sit with that in silence. It was a long five minutes. And the young man came back and sat down. And in my mind, I'm thinking, so what do I say? And the white student said to that boy, that young man, he said, I just want to apologize for what I said. He said, we just learned all about intent and impact and how uh, it doesn't matter what we were intending or because the name of the program was The Joke's Over. And he says, I was trying to be funny. And the impact of that was I said something that was terrible. And he says, I am so sorry. And I was like, I was almost in tears. I was like, oh. and it just... We just went on, and the student, the two of those young men, those boys, because they're boys, they're 17, they're just, they're kids. They were able to repair that relationship. And I was like, wow, that was like unreal, unreal. The impact um, that when you give people the vocabulary and the awareness of things like that, how that actually plays out in the real world. So that was like, that was like one of my most amazing memories in teaching. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It gets, it, you know, and, and it gets heavy. It gets heavy in that religion classroom. We talk about things that most people want to keep buried. So it's not surprising. And, and one of the things I would say to students before they would watch shows like that, I before they watched, um, 
um, sing your song is I would tell them that you're going to see some really disturbing things and like, you know, or if we watch some shows where there was a sexual assault, I would always tell them ahead of time, listen, like you don't, you don't know how this is going to impact you because you don't know who in your classroom has been sexually assaulted. But I can guarantee you some students in this classroom uh, at 14 years of age to 17 years of age, someone's in that classroom has been sexually assaulted already. Um, and so when you see that, you don't know how that's going to impact. You might say, no, no, I'm fine. But you know, you might have to walk out. And I always let the students know, if you have to walk out, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Go walk mm-hmm. out, go for a walk, go down and see uh, Mr. McKenzie, because he's, uh, <laughs> he's got probably treats down there. Just go into chapel, you know, let him know, hey, everything's good, sir. I'm just here. Mr. Let's knows I'm here and, and, and he'll be fine. And we'll talk later. And, uh, you know, like uh, you should not sit in a classroom and be triggered by things that, you know, are out of your control and through no fault of your own. And, uh, and some students have done that. They've, they've had to walk out and, and, and it surprised them because we talk about things that dig deep into the things that people try to push down, but they, they never go away. Like abusive parents, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling addiction, sexual assault, you know, you name it, domestic violence. Those are, we, that comes up in our classroom. And, and so we, we're not surprised that, you know, it could cause somebody to say or do something that, uh, you know, other teachers might say, I can't believe you let that kid swear in your class. I'm like, well, well, what, what are you, what are you going to do? Are you worried about the F bomb or are you worried about the situation that led to it? Exactly. You know? exactly. Um, exactly. And, and I'm, I'm really getting a vibe that like, um, Chris is all about the vibes right yeah, now. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's the relationships are huge for you. Oh, for sure. Like, uh, you know, uh, well, Vito knows this because he taught at uh, Mac and uh, he was there for a long time. Kids hug their teachers. Now, you know, it's, it's 2020. This is, this is everything that you're told never let happen is a stu- touch a student. And to get used to that, like, you know, at this, at this school, it's an inner city school. And one of the things it's most known for is when people come there, the students open the doors for people. It's, it's like, it's unreal the number of comments you get from people that when you're a new person to school, students will walk up and say, hey, you're new here. Who are you? What, what do you do? What are you doing here? Uh, you know, and kids are really curious and they're very confident and, and, and they really want to know who you are, uh, but they will find out who you really are by wow. the things you do as a teacher. There it is right there. Who, who, who's the person in front of the class? Is it, exactly. is it the teach bot 2000 or is it Mr. McKenzie? Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think Mr. in a religion class too, uh, the more makeup you put on, the more mask you wear, uh, you know, the less uh, commitment, the less, relationship that you're going to be having in that classroom uh and like you said i completely agree that's that's tough um because um you know and you as a department head uh you know you know sometimes it's that religion person who students are more comfortable going to with the heavy stuff and they know right they just they just know it like they know if you're being authentic or not and so i always encourage and always try to attract to my classrooms, my teachers, people who are really authentically really good people. 
Yeah. And uh, and I hear things because it's a small world. So Ottawa's a small, it's a small city. And so I know people and whenever people talk to me and say, you know what, my, my kid never liked religion class, but this teacher you have teaching, I don't know what's going on there. I just want to let you know, good stuff is happening there. And it's like, now I'm going to go tell her exactly what you just told me because not enough teachers get that feedback to say, you know what, whatever you're doing, you're hitting people in the right spot and you need to know that you're, you're doing really good work. And that's, uh, that's uh, a big thing. And, and that's amazing. And so appreciative that you do this in the middle of their career and not at the very end when they're retiring and be like, oh, you know, here's all the great stuff you did. We appreciate it. But you're right. You, you need to hear that as it's happening. Exactly. And, For sure. And, and, you know, students, especially when they get to high school, they've had years of experience of reading their teachers. Like oh, body boy. language, they're masters. Like I, I, there's been so many times when, you know, yeah. students have walked in and be like, Mr. McKenzie, you okay? Like, yeah, it's been a rough morning. Because they know. They, they see it on me. And, and they're like, okay, we'll be less, you know, jerk face jerks today. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> sure. Put it down. Not, uh, not, not no, but less. Not no, just less. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's, that's all I can ask. So, uh, Murray, one of the biggest questions that I really need to ask you is how do you always have that smile on your face? Like, every time I see you, you got this, like, joy in your heart and smile on your face. And like I said, I, I'm sure as a human being, you've had rough days, you've had tough days. I've just never seen that on you. Like, how do you walk into school with a smile on your face and leave with a smile on your face every day, it seems? So I have, I have written down here, um, joy in the midst of despair. That's my, uh, my thing that, uh, you know, uh, uh, first of all, I, 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 Go back to that first time when I was at St. Paul's finding out that you could actually go and you could, this could be a career where you get to do something you love uh, and explore yourself. And this is every day I go in, I think I get paid for this. Like I, I love doing this. Like I love finding out stuff. And like I tell you, I stole from teachers. I steal from students. Like <laughs> I stole from Vito. Like his thing about the, um, the Pink Floyd song um, and the student who did that project with the artwork um, uh, oh, on the turning away on the turning away. I show that in class like I stole from Vito like the, this is when I show the students say this is what students are capable of. And I I'm not that creative, but I look at it and I think, wow, it just inspires me. So how do I how do I how do I go to school? How do I go to work? Uh, well, I, there was a boy from New York City who came to our school and uh, his mom was a crack addict and the house burnt down and everybody died in the house except him. And he came to Ottawa because his aunt lived in Ottawa. And like, when I found out that story, I was like, if I saw you coming down the hallway, I never would have put that story together with you because there was a boy who was in the midst of that despair who was able to find joy in the, the, the place where he was at because he felt loved. And so if he's happy, like just living, like he's not even doing the work. He's just loving life because he's, he's, he's found a place where people love him. And I'm doing all this stuff because I really love doing it and, and, and it brings me joy. You can you 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 attract that positive energy, and that just 
you know like when i when i started at st pat's i would always say what are all these kids doing here in the morning like i would get there an hour before school and like it'd be like there's like 20 30 students and i would think what's going on because it's the safest place for them during that day is at school and you can't get them out of school at night because they when they go home it's not it's despair um you know uh my principal came up to me walter hempy at uh st patsy says murray says uh we got people we need we just need like hand warmers blankets and stuff like that it's getting cold and there are kids who are living in cars and in, in, in abandoned cars in the field and, and abandoned buildings and i'm like oh my god <laughs> oh my like how do you how do you come to school like you know the expectation yeah what's the expectation for those kids how about when they come to school, you don't treat them like they're mad, you're mad at them because you're not coming to your class. They're coming to school. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and this is a place where they're safe. And I know there are lots of teachers who are very strict on, you know, you have to do homework. You have to come to class on time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, that's not me. I, I do have that expectation. Uh, but there are some people who um, you can't have that expectation for. Mm-hmm. That's that's not even that's not even their expectation. Like you can't have that expectation for them. Yeah. Well, you know, St. Pat's. You mentioned that and that situation. I remember I was chaplain there for a little while, and I had a student come in at the end of the day, and he sits down and goes, "Hey, so you mind if I sit here?" I'm like, "Yeah, go ahead. Do you want a granola bar or whatever?" And he's like, "Sure, yeah." So we start chatting, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, it's." home time you're gonna head you're heading home anytime soon he's like oh no some guys are coming to shoot up our neighborhood so i'm just gonna wait till it's over before i go and, and just very casually like no i'm just not going yet because that's gonna happen and and i'm yeah. kind of like are you okay you need me to call anybody he goes oh no it'll be over soon enough i'm like we'll stay as long as you need i'm not going anywhere like yeah yeah just do what you need to and it was just we just started chatting about this that and everything else but like this is their lived reality and, and you're right like what is my expectation for this student after that yeah yeah um the, well, I, I, we're so we're, we're so uh we're so uh, accustomed to seeing what an expectation is in a curricular document that we forget that the curricular document is driven by the humans who are gaining that knowledge. And I think that's, that's one thing you just keep smashing home for us tonight is that it's so important to, um, you know, to love the other. Um, What you said there was if you feel love, you'll find joy where you are. Shouldn't the expectation first to be joy, the other stuff come. Other students watch how you treat the, um, you know, one of my favorite stories is the last judgment, right? I, 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 I teach that everywhere is the last judgment is, you know, I even have the little statues here, the homeless Jesus and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the hunger one, the stranger, all the students watch how you treat those people. Yep. And so, your credibility is not based on your ability to be a teacher who knows the subject matter, which is important, but more important is how do you treat the people? The kids already know which guy is, is, is they already know what neighborhood they're coming from. They already know whenever say that kid didn't do their homework. Like, other kids already know that's yeah, because they're probably have the lights out because they want to get a house shot up. 
And so, you know, like, uh, how are you going to treat that kid? Are you going to embarrass them? And I saw on Twitter the other day, one of my former students retweeted something and it was things teachers said to students. I saw that thread. That was hard to read. That was very hard to read. I was in tears. I was like, I can't, I don't even, I can't even imagine, like, how do you go in then and teach after that? How many of those students are listening to you? Like, that's, that's unreal. So we had a guy at our school at St. Pat's, the chaplain at that time was Father Tim Amiot. And Father Tim Amiot was, is a legend in Ottawa. And he did a lot of work with homelessness and, and kids who were, you know, in the margins, right off the margins. And so he was a great influence for us young teachers because he was able to help those students in the way he could help them, but also make us aware that, you know, this is stuff that's going on. And, you know, if you're going to be a teacher in a school like this, you need to be aware that it's not just the curriculum, it's the student. And that's a really important thing. And, and it was a really, it was a blessing to have that mentorship in terms of, how do you be an adult as a teacher in the midst of despair? And where, where do you find the joy? And one of the things that, um, that uh, I found was if you watch the other students, they, they show you. They're going to go to the adult who's going to be their, 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 their parent in, in, in the school. And uh, so those students would bring. And so when you know that and you see that students know that, look at what they're, they're teaching teachers. How do you respond to the needs of others in our school? Because it's not about, they're not thinking about, oh, am I going to go to university or college? They're, they're, they're worried about the end of the day. Yeah. And so those students, so I'll, I'll give you the last story I have on that because it blew me right out of the water. One day in class, I was sitting there, I had my grade 12s and these grade nine kids were coming up to my door and looking in and pointing at this girl. And they were like, she's the one, she's the one. I'm thinking, what's going on? And um, anyway, so I said to the girl, I said, so what happened? She goes, yesterday I was on a bus and this little grade nine student was sitting down and this other grade 10 student was harassing, threatening the student. So I turned around and I put that student in their place. And then loud enough for that student to hear, I told the student, if that other student does says any word to you, you just let me know. Uh-oh. Oh. And I was like, who's brave enough in a city bus with this group of students that live in the areas that they live to stand up and say that and put yourself out there? And how many times do we as adults see things and we say to ourselves, yeah, but I just didn't want to cause a ripple in the water. I didn't want to say anything because, you know, I didn't want the blowback. Well, the blowback for that could have been a lot worse than, you know, what most of us would go through. She was a kid. Mm. She's a great 12. She's 17, but you know, yeah. they're, they're kids. Yeah. Teach wow. the teacher. Teach the teacher. Wow, Murray, like this is just there's a lot for me to to sit on now. Like I, I don't know if my I can handle. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot to chew on here, right? Like, wow. So, teach the teacher is is that what we're going to leave on our final thought? Then is is that 
Um, well, I know, I know you love my little sayings. <laughs> <laughs> I do. One, the other, the other saying that uh, um, Michael Delaire was a chaplain before you at uh, at Macleod, and I always used to say to him too because it's frustrating sometimes as teachers or chaplains or people who deal in this area to you know to see the result of your work and i always used to say it to 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 them is uh you know we plant seeds we plant seeds and those seeds are going to grow into trees that will produce shade under which we will not sit and when i go on facebook and i see the former students and i see where they're at and i see the struggles that they have and how they've overcome them and the joy that they have in their lives, I think to myself, yeah, you know what? We planted seeds, and uh, sometimes people aren't ready to talk about those things. Maybe they'll never be ready, but uh, they never are going to look back and say, nobody ever, ever uh, treated me fairly. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. Somebody did. Got to be somebody. Somebody had to be nice to you. Maybe that's somebody. Exactly. Right, yeah. Murray. Well, we so appreciate you coming on and joining us today. So thank you so much. very much for, for being here and sharing your wisdom with us once again and for making us all better teachers. Like we, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke out of your rear end and to gloat, but I, I, I do mean that every time I chat with you. And we chat with you and we dig deep into what's behind these sound bites that I always give. And this is what we're talking about. And I can't thank you enough for sharing that with us again today. Well, I'm sure you both are the same uh, uh, people. Like, you know, you uh, loved having our conversations when we were at Mac, uh, Vito, and uh, you attract people with similar values. And I'm sure that the people that you, that come across your paths feel that they are loved as well. And, that, and I don't think there's, anything more a compliment that you can give to a teacher than to say you know i i, I felt love when i was in your classroom uh, amen amen <laughs> now the church of murray is now over <laughs> it's a pleasure thank you so much Podcast.